it's not necessarily about what you can do at the time, but it's about cataloging that success. So the next time you go into that situation, you can say, hold on, we've done this already for this client and this is what happened and therefore we value this service at this price now. And you've got some evidence to back that up. Feasters, welcome to episode four of season six of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified each and every single time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your favorite podcast app of choice probably the one you're listening to right now. If you've already heard the show before, leave us a rating and review in iTunes or drop us a comment on Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is David Kilkelly. David is the founder of his own video production company called Blinkback, helping businesses create awesome content. He's worked with all sorts of businesses, including the National Trust, Green King Breweries, and Chris Ducker. He's since moved back into the educational role. See, he was a teacher at a university in a previous life, if you will. But now he's helping entrepreneurs create content for platforms like LinkedIn. The reason for this is that he's seen a shift in the way we do business online. The quote unquote interactive web, as he calls it, added the ability to have your personality and level of trust be amplified. In this episode, we dive into why video is still on an upwards trend, especially on platforms like LinkedIn, how video allows you to supercharge the connection you have with potential clients. And pricing is as simple as what you can be bothered doing it for. I asked David how he communicates the value of video to his clients and how he thinks about his pricing. I don't think his answer is going to surprise you. Although you'll hear him explain how he caters to the lower budget and less ideal clients. So let's dive in. Hey, feasters. Welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I'm here with David. David, thank you very much for uh, your time today. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, no, thank you for being here. I know we're a part of the Youpreneur community, which those of you out there that don't know what that is, that's Chris Ducker's entrepreneur personal branding community for business owners that are looking to inject their personal brand into it. And you guys know me, I inject my personal brand into everything that I do. So, you know, I know when David reached out and I've seen him in the forums um, and he reached out and he was talking about video and helping other folks in that community on video. I wanted to bring him on to the podcast and bring him to you guys because David's, you got a very unique perspective on video, how to use it for business. And also he's got a, a young family. So, uh, which is <laughs> what I'm all about. You've been reading my notes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, you know, it's all, I mean, that's what I've got. We just had, you know, we have a, a newborn son. He's only weeks old at this point. So, um, Oh, wow. Okay. 
You've got your work cut out for you then. Yeah, you know, we have a two and a half year old and a newborn. So, you know, right. it's a, a lot of adjusting going on in this household right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you, uh, is your office in the house as well? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you're going to have to set some boundaries there. Yeah, well, I got this nice door here, and usually, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, TJ, our two-year-old, will help. Sometimes his, uh, you know, face will plant up against the window on the door sometimes, and you know, introduce himself onto video calls and things like that. Yeah. But it's all yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what it's about. So, um, absolutely. So, David, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, why you do what you do, and I'd love to know what your defining moment in life so far is. Okay. Um, well. Well, let's rewind a little bit then. So I, I mean, I've actually been working with video for, I, I think I figured out earlier on this year that it's, it's my 30th anniversary effectively of working with video because I, I first picked up a camera when I was kind of at school and they let me use that as part of the kind of art courses and things I was doing. Uh, I then went on to study at college. I fell out of college and landed a job teaching video at uh, a UK university, uh, University of Sussex. And I was there for about... 12 years, I think it was, teaching media, teaching a bit of Photoshop, some uh, documentary production, but general kind of media production. So, and that was at kind of graduate level and also postgraduate level. So, um, so I kind of cut my teeth there quite a lot and really, I mean, I, you know, they say when you teach, you learn. So that's really mm -hmm. where I probably learned a core and a bulk of, of the skills. But, uh, you know, being a university and the way universities work is they tend to I think, well, at least where I was, they tended to look backwards rather than forwards. So, you know, what essentially video is used for these days is marketing. Uh, that's the internet has given video a kind of a, a purpose and vice versa, actually. I think the video has given the internet purpose as well. So mm. these two things have kind of combined. So we've got now global reach. We've got this amazing communication tool. And uh, video is really the thing that helps people make sense of that. So we, we can reach out with video and create trust and create sort of connections between people far easier than using text, for example. And so that's what kind of interests me about it and, and what interested me about it back then when I left the university. So, and actually I think you asked me about the defining moment and that was mm -hmm. those two things probably intertwined because having been in a nice cozy job for 12 years, you know, doing things a certain way, it was probably that moment where I realized I wanted to leave and go and do my own thing. So that was quite a big moment because then that meant, you know, cutting the strings on a perfectly good salary. Mm -hmm. And we left the area of the UK where we were in, which was uh, in Brighton, south of London, and moved to a completely different part of the country because we figured if, if we were going to make a change, we might as well make a big change. So we moved to uh, the west of the UK, which is much more sort of, uh, it's a countryside, it's moorland, it's much wilder. And, uh, and we, we set up the business there. So hmm. yeah, I think we were creating a challenge for ourselves. <laughs> See, yeah. we had no, no, net, no network here, no business experience. And uh, yeah, but it was exciting. Yeah. I mean, to that, I mean, you essentially moved away from a spot that you were familiar with the network was there, like you said, you decided to strike out on your own and move away from all of that. Yeah. Was it a creative pull to go there or was it like some, I mean, why would you leave that network where you were sort of like, okay, if I'm striking out on my own, I need obviously clients. So the clients are here. Yeah. 
Well, oddly, I, when I was working at the university, I didn't really have a network. I, I worked with the same six or eight people for 12 years. You know, a few people changed around the edges. But that's the funny thing about working in a big machine like that, which is just like, a, you know, there's 2,000 members of staff at, at a university. And, you know, uh, you, tend to, to work in little, you tend to work in little bubbles, you know. So mm. um, oddly, now, having run the business for five years in this part of the country, I know way, way, way more people than I did back then because because I have to go out and meet them because, you know, if I don't go out and meet people, then I've effectively got no business and no work. So, right. and, and actually that social component's been really, you know, exciting and interesting just to go out and meet loads of different people. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I just, it was just a, an upward hill slope for that first year or two um, that we really had to go out and, and build a network from scratch. But we were prepared for that. So that's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also really just, we moved to this part of the country because it's quality of life. So within half an hour of our house here, we can be on wild moorland, we can be in, down by the coast, we can be on a river, a lake, we can be in two cities. Um, so it just, it just had a lot more options for us and, and cool. felt nice. We had young kids at the time, so it was about where they wanted to grow up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you and your wife that are the company, correct? Yeah, correct. Um, we both work in the business um, and then we use, I, I've never really been a big fan of uh, having huge overheads. I, I, I'm not sure if that's the way that companies in the future are going to work. I think we're in a time now where a nimble business is, is, uh, is more common and, and actually, you know, more fun really. You can, cause you can change things when, when you need to. Sure. When you see a shift in the market, when you see something happening that you need to respond to, it's almost exactly the opposite from what the university offered because everything's set in a, it's like trying to steer the Titanic, you know, everything's going in one great big (laughs) direction and, and, you know, changing it is really difficult. But when you run your own thing, you can switch and flip and turn and, and, and respond to the market. You know, and if one thing's not working, you can do something else. And, and I think that really appeals to my kind of entrepreneurial mind, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I am as well. Like, you know, I have a home office. I don't want to carry overhead. Um, you know, people are like with two young children, wouldn't you want to go to a co-working space? How do you concentrate and those kind of things? And I'm like, well, I just make do. Like it is what it is. Like I like being around. Like yeah, sometimes it's difficult, but you know it is what it is. Um, I, you know, same thing. Like I came from a corporate background. I worked for Fortune 100 companies, all the way down to small niche design firms. Right where like you know so small it was like one of them was <laughs> just a niche in educational material, building educational sites for flight schools. So, I mean, it was like, you know, so I come from the big whole spectrum there. And so, yeah, either way that was, was I found the same thing. It was like to change direction in the market was tough, even, even with the smaller design firms, because it was like, okay, there's still like 30 or 45 or 60 some odd people there that, you know, is going in that same direction to then shift the market, you know, see that shift in the market, to go that direction is going to be hard to pull all of those people there. And it's even yeah. harder with the larger corporations. So I get that to the point of the shifting in the market. Um, when did you start to see that video? Like, cause obviously the internet technically, I mean, the internet is still a, a young kid, so to speak, right? Mm. Like it's still very young um, in the grand scheme of all of commerce. Right. Um, when did you start to see that video, is a thing like 
I mean, was it real early on? Was there something that you saw other companies doing and seeing success with? Because video, I mean, I still remember, I still have the camera where I had to fire, you know, record it on tape yeah, and then firewire yeah. that into the, yeah. the computer, press play so that my computer could record. So it was not very easy, but now obviously we all have video 4K mm. cameras in our pockets now. When did you see that shift happening? Um, I think it's probably still happening. I, it's one of those things that, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of something at the moment. And it's sometimes quite hard to see the bigger picture because we're only halfway along and we're, you know, we're right on the, on the wire sort of thing. Um, but I suppose, uh, people talk about web 1.0 and web 2.0. So when social media really kind of started, which was probably 2006, seven onwards, um, that's when, uh, they, people talk about web 2.0, which is essentially the, the interactive web. So right. rather than just people broadcasting out, like a brochure or like an advertising platform, like, like we, like we did all the way through the eighties and the nineties, you know, um, rather than this one way conversation, it suddenly became two way because we had WordPress and we had Stripe and we had all these different kind of tools that, that allowed people to basically set up their own stuff without high level technical knowledge. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, pretty much anyone can set up a business with just a laptop and using those different platforms and tools. Um, and, and it was around about that time that people started being able to upload video to Facebook, for example, and all the social networks started adding video in. I thought it was really interesting watching that happen because um, loads of those social networks weren't video platforms at all to start with. So Instagram was a photograph right. platform and then they added video in. Uh, you know, you've got video on uh, Pinterest now, I think, and Twitter added it in and Facebook's got it. And now in the last 18 months or so, LinkedIn has added video. So, you know, all of these platforms obviously recognized the power and the, the opportunity there. Um, and, you know, obviously as the technologies walked alongside that and we've all got good quality kind of cameras in our phones now, that it means that pretty much anyone has access to, to that. So, you know, the web speeds got faster, the platforms adapted, and it all just kind of evolved. And, and that's in the last, so in the last five or 10 years, it's really taken another big step forward, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Recognizing the power and opportunity that's in front of us while we are knee deep in it is often hard to do. Our industry as developers and designers is always evolving and changing as David points out here. Surrounding yourself with a community of like-minded folks selling services allows you to hear what others are also seeing in that industry and space so that you can validate your thoughts and ideas. David shares with us his story of the shift that he had in his own market. And as you and your business grow, you're going to notice shifts, changes in clientele and your pricing. You'll hear what David does to serve a wider range of clients with both large and small budgets and how he approaches each very differently. This is a great way to build out different revenue streams for your business and make it sustainable long term. Bottom line is that our industry is largely commoditized. That's why I want to invite you to check out Feast. By using the code VIDEO at checkout, you can get your first month for only $20. Within that first month, you can learn exactly how to unpack the value of a client and put a price on your services. 
Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off that project searching hamster wheel and actually run the business that you set out to build. Feast helps position you in the market with what you do, who you help, and helps you build the processes and systems for client management, sales and marketing, delivery, and pricing. Your business isn't the same as everyone else's. When you become a member of Feast, you get personalized guidance from myself. It's absolutely essential for me to meet you where you are and make sure you're getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in the shuffle. The moment you sign up, we're going to have a chat so that I can create you a custom syllabus of resources within Feast to meet you where you are. If you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise, then I would love to see you inside of Feast. Head over to feastcourse.com today. keep saying okay I gotta do YouTube I gotta get involved with that a little bit more and although I have the camera I have a tripod and all this other things like I'm just like okay I still don't do it like it's yeah. I don't know why I just like podcasts I churn out podcasts not a problem I mean that's yeah. my medium of choice uh video I see how impactful it is for businesses and I'm sure you do as well obviously that's what your your services are but um how do you explain that to someone like myself that says, okay, yeah, I haven't leveraged video. Like I could, I could see the value there, but I don't know what I'm like, for me, it's like, what am I going to video? I'm here in this room for eight to 10 hours a day, maybe sometimes. Right. And so like, I'm like, there's, it's nothing exciting, right? It's just me and my computer. How do you have those conversations with folks and businesses that come into your ecosystem, if you will, um, to say like, yeah, this is what video can do for you. I think um, it's, well, firstly, I think that people like you and I are probably at a disadvantage um, or our generation is at least because we haven't really grown up with it. So it's not, it doesn't come naturally to us. If you look at YouTube and you look at the, some of these up and coming platforms like TikTok and Snapchat and those kind of things, you know, the, the, the younger generation who have literally grown up with a, a mobile phone in their pocket, um, they find video a much more natural thing to, to turn to. So, you know, they find it easier. Uh, we watched all of that happen and it's not necessarily in our nature or our DNA to use video. So it's a little bit more of an upward hill struggle. Um, and then I think you've got to think about, well, we always talk about funnels in marketing, but you can talk about funnels with video as well. And, and all that really means is thinking about at what level in your process are you talking to people and at what stage in, in any kind of relationship building process are you talking to people? So, um, you know, you can have stuff at the top of the funnel, which is really reaching out to heaps and heaps of people. You can have stuff in the middle of the funnel, which is where people know you and you're kind of getting to know them a bit more and you can, and that's again different. And then you can have stuff at the bottom of the funnel, which might be more salesy or, or kind of mm. direct. And then the other thing, just to, you know, because there's loads of things that came out of what you just said there, but um, you know, you say that talking in a podcast is quite natural. Well, the difference between what we're doing here, I mean, we're, we've actually got a camera running here. So right, right. effectively you're doing video. Um, so, but this is much more like a live video than a produced video. So as soon as you start kind of producing video, that's very, it's a very different thing from live video. Live video, you've got to think off the top of your head. Uh, it's a bit more conversational. Produced video, suddenly you kind of think like, you've got to plan it a bit more and say, well, actually, what am I going to say here? Who's it for? Where in the funnel is it going to work best? 
and and then you've got to you know maybe be a craft it a bit more so if you were to write a blog post you'd probably go through it and you'd edit it and you'd think about bits and you'd take bits out and take a bit more time over it and you'd craft it. So it's very much the same with video. If you're going to do that kind of like a video vlog or something like that, um, firstly, it's about thinking about the message, but then also refining it and tuning it down a little bit. Mm. And, and I think, you know, a really good way for people to get started with it is just to think about demonstrating their expertise. So, um, which is essentially what you do in a blog it's just if you do it with video, you get to see the person, you get to feel who they are a little bit, you get to a bit of the character, a bit of the warmth of that person. And that's, that just, it's just supercharging that message, essentially. It's just making it, right. you know, it's enabling your audience to connect better with you. Um, and it's hugely powerful. I mean, you know what, you know how we react to celebrities. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, you know. Right. You see someone famous in the street, you go all weak at the knees and stuff. It's like, they're just a person. It's just that they happen to be on a screen a bit more often, you know. And right, right. The reason it has that effect, and it's kind of magic, you know. Yeah, yeah. So when you have conversations, and I guess, actually, I have a couple of questions, and I'll get to that one in a second. Taking a step back, when you started out on your own, you know, leaving the, the Titanic, if you will, leaving the yeah. Titanic and, and started on your own. How did you start defining your services in a way that, you know, for one, I mean, obviously it's creative and there's a lot of designers that listen to the show. A lot of the things that, and this is what I mentioned to you earlier on, was that I get questions about pricing all the time and how do I come up with pricing and all that. And as soon as I say it, they're like, okay, but you're working on the bottom line um, for design aspects or for video or for writing a lot of these things you can't necessarily tie directly to pricing but i heard you mention the funnel which you know obviously that word in and of itself i disagree with i think it's just business relationships it's selling it's marketing all of that stuff and you know obviously protect the innocent and all of the other things you know even of yourself no trade secrets or whatever, but how did you come up with and define your pricing to your clients? And how did you have that conversation with them to say, Hey, look, this is the results that you can get from video. Um, and this is how I can do that for you. Um, that's, it's a tricky question, isn't it? And I wouldn't pretend to know, know absolutely the answer to that because even just this last week, we've been reviewing pricing and thinking about how to, you know, adapt. And, and that, mm -hmm. you know, going back to what I was saying about running your own business is that's one of the sort of more exciting challenges about figuring that out. So, you know, video is inherently quite an expensive process because it takes a while. Um, you've got to, you know, you, you've obviously got to film it, you've got to edit it. But, and then the bit that people quite often forget about is the planning and the preparation. So, you know, the creative development and the and getting the message right and all that kind of stuff at the beginning can take almost as long as the filming and the editing, mm. um, you know, but it depends on the project. So trying to communicate that as best as possible is always valuable, I think, for the client. So just kind of, you know, laying that out. I mean, it's taken like five years to figure all this out and I still don't have it figured out, you know, but sure. like I think yeah, yeah. the first time, you know, the first few projects we did, I did for like 300 quid or 500 quid and it was just... Um, just a, just something to put in the portfolio and, mm -hmm. and change for some money, whatever someone would give me, you know. And but obviously budgets have gone up and up and up, and and you know I think after a while you identify your ideal kind of client. So you know most of the clients we work with now on the certainly on the sort of bigger side of the projects are six or seven figure businesses. 
Um, but, you know, in this part of the world, there's also a lot of really small businesses, like one and two man bands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like us, and I understand what it's like to be in that position and to not have five grand to throw out a video. So, um, you know, we've looked uh, more recently at kind of simpler, lower cost ways of doing that. So, uh, maybe using a freelancer to do um, some of the video stuff and then just keeping the edits really simple and just turning something around in a day or two. Mm. And then for those kind of budgets, we can do something at a quarter of that price or whatever it is. So so it's tricky though, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's. but I had, you know, when I, when I was um, starting the business, I asked a friend of mine who'd been a freelance editor for a few years how he costed things. And he came back with something that was so simple and so brilliant, and I've still to this day remember it. And he said, "You just do it for what you can be bothered to do it for." And I, <laughs> I, I know that sounds like kind of like oversimplifying it, but actually, it's really it's really kind of profound because I could be bothered to do it for three hundred pounds when I started, and then mm-hmm. I realised that actually, you know, I my time is more valuable in these other areas now, and I I can't do that for that anymore so you know i put, put my prices up and generally every all every year my prices have gone up by 20 or 30 percent or whatever mm-hmm. to the point where now i have you know a, a price for a video which i can which i can which i'll happily do and not feel like i'm ripping myself off right and if as long as i'm feeling comfortable doing it for that price then that's a good price for me gotcha yeah yeah i mean i think that's smart too is that you have prices but then you know for your bespoke full service offering but then to meet other customers that may potentially be your ideal customers, but not necessarily have the budget or not necessarily have the time, you know, for the full scale project to then say, okay, that's okay. Hmm. We know your budget, but this is what we can offer for that budget. Yeah. And this is what you get to get out of that. Was it something that you came to after time, after you did some of the bespoke things and you kind of just chopped up like, hey, if we take like these three bits from the bespoke project and put that as a lower offering, we can easily churn that out quicker. Um, yes. Yeah, to a certain extent. Um, it's, yeah, so it's just kind of keeping things simple. Um, I'm just trying to think. The other thing is, I think you mentioned before when we were chatting before the podcast about, um, we, we talked briefly about pricing. And one of the things that's really, really commonly said is about looking at client re- return on investment. So, you know, I, I think, you know, when you're running a marketing company, sorry, I've got Windows shouting at me. Um, when you run a marketing company, you've got a lot more data essentially because you can say like, right, we ran this ad campaign and, um, you know, you, you put, $300 in or whatever it is, and you've got $700 out and brilliant, you know, so we, we can prove that through kind of data. It's much harder with creative services to really draw a specific mm-hmm. kind of return like that. But what we try and do is, is kind of match the quality of the production to the standard, to the brand. So like generally a bigger company is more invested in their brand, is more concerned about maintaining that kind of level of quality and therefore they're, they're happier to invest more money into that mm-hmm. but you know we've done we've done a in a project for about you know i think it was a five grand project for a law company that went on to make like hundreds of thousands of pounds out of it so that made me realize or made me wish i'd done far better kind of value-based mm-hmm. you know pricing there but you know that's something i suppose you look back at and learn on but it's really difficult to get people to give up their marketing budgets and how much they're going to make and i think you kind of have to when you're doing marketing because it, it's you've got to look at the numbers much more specifically sure but when you're offering a creative service people are a little bit more reticent to be open about their marketing budgets and their revenue and the turnover and all that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's challenging. So that one law firm, what would you have done 
differently in the context of trying to position the value of it um, now that like you're looking at it retrospectively? Well, at the time, I think it would have been hard to do anything about it. I think what, what we need to do with that is actually we, we put together a really good case study from that. So we, took, we, we got hold of that data. We spoke to the client. They were really happy, but we got the data from them. Uh, I mean, they doubled revenue over the campaign that they ran it sort of thing. So, you know, for an eight-figure law company, that was pretty good for them, you know. Right. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily about what you can do at the time, but it's about cataloging that success. So the next time you go into that situation, you can say, hold on, you know, we've done this already for this client and this is what happened and therefore we value this service at this price now. And you've got some evidence to back that up. Mm -hmm. That's what I talk a lot about is portfolio is one thing, right? But track record of success is what actually matters, right? So you can do all the free work that you want, um, might look good, but did it produce the results that your new leads coming in are looking at um, or looking for? Um, and I think that that's super smart that say like, you know, okay, look, here's the thing. This is what we did. This is the project. Now let's go back to those clients and see what resulted from that project. Yeah. And, and that's from a creative perspective. Like for me, I can see the data as it comes in, right? Like I know, like if I do some development or a feature add to an e-commerce site or, you know, change in email marketing automation around like those numbers, you know, within days, you know, I could see the effect on. Whereas if you're creatively making something that they're going to then go ahead and use in their marketing campaign or, you know, in some higher top of funnel method, you might have to go back. Your engagement might end and then you might have to go back two, three, six months later and say, hey, look, you know, I'm just curious. I just want to follow up. How did that all work for you? Mm. You know, do you mind sharing any of the data or the information? And is that what you did with the law firm? You just went back yeah. and said, hey, look, can I have that data or? Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we turn, I think um, actually the way that um, came about was that we asked them for a testimonial because we knew they'd been happy anyway. So we went back to get a video testimonial from them. And it was through the process of that video testimonial that a lot of the numbers and stats came out. Mm. And so, and then we just, yeah, I used that as the basis for a case study. Awesome. That's awesome. You kill like two birds with one stone. You get yeah. the testimony, you get the data. Good. Awesome. Yeah. So the question that I had earlier on was in that shift, in the shift that we are now where we all have high resolution cameras in our pocket, were you ever scared that like, okay, maybe my services aren't going to be as needed anymore. I mean, I think I know the answer just from the conversation that we're having and the kind of the clients that you go for, but was there that ever like, uh Oh, iPhone 10 is coming out. Maybe, maybe somebody doesn't need me anymore. They could go to buy a tripod and just talk to their phone. Um, yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I, you've got to really stay on your toes when you run your own business, haven't you? And I think that, you know, we do kind of quite highly produced kind of um, video content that, suits a certain market and a certain need. Um, but you've got to know that, firstly, there's always going to be competition coming up through the lower ranks. You're always going to have a, a young guy with a camera who doesn't have any overheads, even less than we do. And, um, you know, and he's skilled because he's, he's, you know, he's grown up with that technology. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then there's also people doing it themselves. There's people using it themselves. So, you know, for us, it's about like diversifying and bringing in different revenue streams. So, you know, we've, this year we've added in a new course to help actually help people produce content for thing uh, for platforms like LinkedIn. So video, it's a video LinkedIn course. Uh, we're also looking at maybe uh, setting up uh, by the hour editing service. 
so people can, you know, because editing is one of those things that kind of people look at as a bit of a dark art. So, you know, you <laughs> might be able to film your own stuff, but then you don't want to piece it all together. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that we can offer remotely online. Um, it's really easy these days with platforms like Dropbox and stuff to just kind of shuttle about fairly large data, um, large amounts of data. So, um, so we're looking at maybe setting up a platform where people can, you know, just use us for a date for an editing service, you know? Mm. So that, that's just, it's just basically answering people's needs at different levels in the market. So yes, the six and seven figure businesses might want our higher end services, but all of those freelancers and solopreneurs and kind of like smaller businesses, you know, they're, they're using video as well, but they're not going to invest realistically you know, all of that kind of capital into having somebody come and produce their own video content. It's just doesn't make any sense for them. Right. You know, right, they need right. to be able to do it themselves, but we can help them do that. Sure. Yeah. So to your point, and that was where I was going next is social media, obviously. And you mentioned at the top, this is, you know, kind of like the advent of video, like, you know, those platforms existed, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all of these but then they introduced video and now everybody has stories of some sort of shape or form, right? YouTube has them, Instagram has them, you know, they're all over the place. Facebook, you've focused in on LinkedIn. Why did you do that? Um, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm thinking to myself because like, I see a ton of like, Hey, this is how you produce stuff on YouTube. Um, this is how you do Facebook live. There's, you know, like there's all this material, educational material out there for those sort of platforms. I haven't seen too much really. And I haven't looked, but I mean, that other stuff is in my face, whereas LinkedIn, not so much. So I'm kind of curious, did you stay away from those because of the crowded market or was there a specific strategy behind saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to talk about LinkedIn here. Yeah, it was, it was both of those things really. Um, I kind of feel like, um, you know, I think Facebook has, I wouldn't say it's had its day, but it's certainly had its sort of meteoric rise. And, and a lot of people rode that wave very successfully. Um, it's much harder now, certainly with organic reach, to get any, any kind of results out of Facebook. Uh, YouTube is an extraordinarily crowded platform, particularly if you're working in the video environment. You know, like for me to start, I mean, we do have a YouTube channel, but for me to get on it and start talking about how to create video, I'm up against guys with like 300, 400, you know, a million subscribers. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a huge nut to crack in that respect. LinkedIn is... Um, is just a much more achievable. Well, firstly, the audience is absolutely right for us. You know, it's B2B professionals, you know. Sure. What I really like about LinkedIn is it hasn't got that noise that the other social channels have got. So you don't really get many trolls on it. People aren't there talking about politics and religion and all that kind of stuff that everyone gets very, very heated about. Um, They're there really just talking about kind of business, about strategy, about mindset and development, about you know, connections and other businesses. And that's a much more interesting to me and be much more relevant to our business. Mm. And, the, and, and the engagement's really good at the minute because LinkedIn is on its upward trajectory now. That's an exciting time. So, you know, I can post something on LinkedIn. I'll get a couple of thousand views on a video. I'll get 40 likes and 30 comments and people are just engaging with it. And, you know, I, I just don't get anything like that on Facebook. So I've kind of almost given up on Facebook. I mean, it's got a great advertising platform and it does yield good ad results, you know. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just conversational kind of like raising your profile, building your connections, I, ju- I just think LinkedIn's absolutely where it is at the minute. Yeah, I think that's smart. I mean, everything that you've done so far, catering to those clients that 
you know, may not have the budgets or the time to dedicate to a full full service offering. Uh, LinkedIn, you said it right there. That's B two B. That's our uh, that's where our audience is. That's where our potential clients are. Mm. You know, giving them the education around that sort of thing. You know, even thinking about expanding into editing. You know just an editing services. Cause to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I don't do video is editing. Like I just, I'm like, I can't sit here and look at myself and move and all like, I, I couldn't do that, which is why I have a post-production for the podcast. I don't like the editing part of it. Um, but all of those things, it speaks to how you run your business is, is that yes, I have this full service offering and I offer it for a certain price, but I am catering to the needs of potentially other ideal clients that may not have that budget or that time or, you know, the, the, the wherewithal to invest in all of that just yet. But mm. we have all these bits and bobs really underneath it that could help them in some way that they see at this point as their problem. You know, I love it. I think it, I think it's, you know, it's like connecting all the dots underneath. And, and it's funny too, because I'm working through that myself. I'm taking apart my larger scale projects and starting to then go ahead and say, okay, I could do this. I could price that and I could do this and price it this way. And yeah. it's like, you know, trying to come up with all of those things. Uh, like you said, it's, it's fun as a business owner because it's like, Hey, if this doesn't work, Okay, so I don't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you produce, I mean, you know, we were talking about Youpreneur and Chris Ducker earlier, and he, he talks about an ecosystem. And, you know, if you have a range of services at different price points and, and, for, and within under the same umbrella, so all of our services are video related or video marketing related, um, but they, they, they're for different types of people in different sorts of places. But, but you know, you're creating essentially, a, a, go back to that funnel idea, within your services. So someone might, you know, start off by just spending a couple of hundred quid on a, on a course with us. Um, they then might go on to do a bit of editing by the hour. Then their company grows and they start to employ people and they just, they want to outsource all of it. They haven't got time for that anymore. And suddenly we can offer them a higher level service. So, you know, it's just about kind of building in different tiers into your business so that you can, you can offer things at different places and to different people. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, sometimes that feels like you've got three different businesses on the boil. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got to manage it properly and kind of get some systems set up and outsource some of it and, and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, for what I, what I tend to do is I test it based off of the back of a larger scale project. So if in, in the midst of a conversation with a lead, um, you know, obviously if it's a course or something, that's different. But with the services and things like that, if I have the conversation and I start to think that the path is moving away from the custom project, the larger scale project, I'm like, all right, I can offer them this. And if they bite, then I can say, okay, that's fine. If it happens a few times, then I'm like, okay, let me formalize this a little bit more and, you know, build out the documentation, the processes and things like that. And to streamline a little bit more, maybe throw it up on my website and see if people are going to bite directly to it. I'm always trying to stay as lean and as simple as possible. And if I don't have to try to market multiple things all at the same time, yeah, that yeah. to me that's when my head becomes overwhelmed and I just kind of go top down like yourself. Like you listen to your audience, you listen to your ideal clients and what they're asking you for, then build that out rather than yeah. the other way around. Yeah. And I think it's like what you just said there is really important. And it's just to kind of, you know, one of the reasons I said we're thinking about doing an editing by the hour service is that at the moment we're doing the course 
and and obviously dealing with our kind of regular clients from the video production service. So you know, like adding in that and and the and the editing by the hour service all at once is just it's just too much. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you, you forget how complicated these things are. It's not it's not just a question of putting a, a, a thing up on your website. You, you've got to communicate that to people. Otherwise there's no point in doing it. So, right, right. you know, you've got to have the right marketing assets. You've got to have the right message and tone and you've got to, and, and also if you throw too many things out at once, I think people get confused about what it is that you offer. Um, so yeah, at the moment we're really just trying to focus on getting the course down and out. And then once that's kind of up and running, we will move on to the next thing, but you know, uh, it's yeah. uh, trying to keep, and and where can folks go and we'll put all these links in and all of david's resources in the show notes but where, where can folks find out about the linkedin course and get more information about it uh you can go to our website it's um blinkback.co.uk um which is b-l-i-n-k-b-a-c-k and forward slash linkedin um, that will take you there. There's actually a, a LinkedIn sort of option in the menu at the top there, which will take okay. you there. So we've got a landing page there with some information about it. And so, yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's like I was saying before about YouTube, you know, and my want to get into it really just from a organic reach kind of thing. Like, you know, I do have podcasts, I do have content, written content rather. Um, and why not have video too? People keep telling me LinkedIn. Like they're like, you need to be on LinkedIn. That that's where organically a lot of things are happening where like, you know, it was Facebook or you know, Facebook, you know, five, six, seven years ago, you know, Google ads, you know, 10, 15 years ago, right? Like they're like, mm. LinkedIn is the, at that point now. I think that's super smart to go in there. And like you said too, it's, and which it didn't hit me until you said it, but the reason why I shy away from Facebook is because of all the distractions that Facebook puts in front of you, right? Like, so like mm. when I look at doing something for work, I don't want to be distracted by my niece and nephew photographs or, yeah. you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And that's what happens on Facebook. I mean, that's the, I, that, I mean, Facebook probably got some all science behind it all, why they do what they do. But like, that's why, you know, inside my feast community, it's a Slack group. I had closed down really early on a Facebook group because I want people to interact and talk about work. I don't want them to be distracted by all the other things. Like you said, LinkedIn, people go there, talk about personal development, business development, you know, marketing strategies and all these other things. They're not talking, they're not like, you're not putting pictures of your children up there. And like, you're not doing that sort of stuff there. So I think that that's, that's smart to do. It always surprised me that LinkedIn, or, or sorry, Facebook or any social networks had some way of customizing your feed a bit more. And I know they've tried various different things over the years, but for me, if I could have like my business feed where I just say like, right, okay, this is my Facebook business feed and it's a tab at the top and I can put what I want into it and I can just, I can eliminate the pictures of my kids, you know, or, or my friend's kids or whatever it is and put them over there and just have my business, you know, connections in one place. That would be great. I mean, like LinkedIn, uh, Facebook are complaining that there's not enough real estate in the screen and everyone's arguing over, you know, who should go what. And they've got this algorithm that tries to determine it for you. Let me do it for myself. (laughs) I'm quite happy to have three or four different feeds on Facebook for different needs, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they have a reason, but it is. (laughs) And it probably all comes down to ad money at the end of the day. (laughs) All right. I want to be mindful of your time here. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, Before I let you go, um, what's up next? I mean, I know you have the course and things, but what's up next in the next six to 12 months? Um, For me, it's refining the 
what we do a little bit more always there's always things to tweak and things to kind of adjust you know the the business is up and running now for five years so we, we're kind of comfortable and we have a sort of client base and 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 that's that's one of the reasons why I started building the course out this year. Historically, we're quite quiet between January and March every year. And we've been running the business long enough now to know that's going to happen, which is nice because we can bank a little bit in the autumn. And then, we can, and then we've got some time in the early part of the year to do something constructive and to build something new. So we used that time this year to build out the course. Um, I'm really looking forward to marketing the course because for me, that's all that kind of geeky stuff that I quite like, which is sort of optimizing things and kind of setting up retargeting and all that kind of, you know, looking at the numbers and making sure that, you know, changing the copy and tweaking things and, and you know, split testing your landing page and all that kind of stuff that I, I don't really get to do that very often with the video <laughs> side of the business. And I quite like that. Um, it appeals to some part of my brain. So I'm looking forward to just, not just launching the course, but then as an ongoing process, you know, seeing how I can get it to reach more people hmm. and, you know, doing more, more things like this, more kind of podcasts and just uh, expanding. So we, we're, um, I do, we do the video for Chris Ducker for Upreneur. So oh. I was there last year at the summit and we did the video content for that. And uh, we're going to do it again for his mid-year and again in the autumn for the summit. So that's much more about stepping outside of the Southwest where we are. And although it means me being on a, you know, traveling a lot more up and down the country, um, I'm beginning to connect now with a, a bigger, a wider sort of um, less local audience, which I think is really important for the more digital kind of education services. So it's just kind of keeping those two things in balance. Awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats on the, the summit and the repeat business too. So that's a testament to you. Have you been to the summit or any I have of the not. UK? I have not. Um, I'm a part of his mastermind, his US mastermind. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't been over there yet. Really, it's been timing more than anything else. <laughs> it's yeah. just, you know, and now, I don't know with the newborn we're still trying to yeah, figure sure, out some sure. travel over the summer and all that other stuff so we're just kind of playing it by ear at this point in time but yeah no I mean first of all David thank you for your time second of all where could folks reach out and uh, say thanks um, I, I think I'm the only person called David Kilkelly on LinkedIn so uh, if you type that name in uh, and you find me, then come and connect with me there. That's always good. Uh, that's where I'm most active. So that's a really good place just to kind of connect and have a conversation. And of course, our website as well, which I mentioned earlier, um, if you want to go and check out what we're doing in a broader context. Awesome. And I'll definitely link up all those in the show notes as well. Uh, David, thanks again for your time today and your insights and your expertise. Really do appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Thanks very much. And everyone listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I can speak for both David and myself by saying that we'd love to hear what your one takeaway was. It's super simple. In the podcast app of choice probably this one that you are listening to, drop a comment or review sharing what your takeaway was. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button either so that you'll be the first to listen to next week's episode when we'll bring to the show Vito Peleg, who's a legitimate rock star. He's also built an agency and to scratch his own itch, 
built a product that allows his team to get feedback from clients with ease, elegance, and he made history with this thing in the WordPress space. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast.